Welcome to Superhero Leadership, the podcast that explores outstanding leadership through the lens of some of the most successful superhero leaders in business, sports, politics, the military, and public service. This podcast is for anyone who aspires to great leadership. I'm Joe Garner, the producer, and in this episode, I'll introduce you to our host, Peter Cuneo. Peter has experienced superhero leadership throughout his life and career, from serving as a naval officer during the Vietnam War to becoming the CEO of Marvel Entertainment. Peter has completed seven business turnarounds in consumer products, media, and entertainment, and served on the boards of many public and private enterprises, often as chairman. Drawing from his list of what he considers to be 32 essential qualities for great leaders, in each episode of his podcast, Peter and his guest will offer actionable takeaways you can immediately implement into your life and career. So, let's meet Peter. Peter, obvious first question, why a podcast on leadership now? Joe, I've been giving talks, fireside chats, lectures, attending MBA program classes. I was asked to give a talk about leadership when I was the CEO of Marvel Entertainment about 20 years ago. I really had never thought, believe it or not, much about leadership or my leadership up until that point. And I got on a long plane flight to China and I started thinking when I got on, what am I going to say? And at the end of the flight, I had come up with what I called the 28 essentials of what we're calling superhero leadership back then. I was calling it turnaround leadership because my career has been doing turnarounds for distressed companies. And that was the start of actually me thinking well, actually every day quite a bit about leadership, about my own personal leadership, what I was good at, not good at, and so on. And in those 20 years, I've noticed a tremendous decline in the amount of quality leaders that we have, not only in the United States, but around the world. I'm alarmed, frankly. I'm alarmed for the world. And as I get older, of course, I'm naturally interested in trying to leave something behind. So what I'm trying to do here is to use my experiences, the things I did right, and some things that I did wrong to get other people motivated to aspire to being an outstanding leader. And then talk about how that happens and what hard work you need to do to make sure that does happen. Why do you believe we're lacking in effective leadership today? Because today, actually learning the instincts that you need to be a good leader is very hard to do. One is that I believe that one learns the instincts of leadership in guiding other people to successful ends, really largely by face-to-face -face interactions. And there's much less face-to-face -face interactions in the world today. Let's take the internet, for example. The internet is, if you're on a, a Zoom call or some other meeting online, or even just a one-on-one, -on -one, and particularly if it's someone you don't know or if just meeting, you don't really learn anything about them. You're not learning any real instincts. You're negotiating a deal or talking about a situation, but you're just not learning anything about how to deal, you know, with other people. The internet, it's almost always impersonal in my experience. 
And even worse, the internet can be cruel. We have people saying things, terrible things, they would never say to your face. And we all know that. But the internet allows them to be anonymous and to let sometimes some of their deepest, darkest moments come out, you know, and get away with things. We also have, particularly in the United States, another problem. We have a celebrity-oriented frivolous culture. Our heroes today are celebrities that I call non-celebrities. People are interested in them. We don't have a lot of people we look up to, in my opinion, for the right reasons. The last thing I would mention on all of this is COVID. Remember I said that you learn leadership and learn to how to interact positively with other human beings by face-to-face interaction. Well, COVID made that even worse than it is, particularly for young people going to school. They didn't go to school. They didn't get that social interaction at a young age that's so important that gives them confidence in themselves over time and causes them to have generally optimistic outlooks. We're not getting that. So look, for all of these reasons, I'm, as I said, I'm very concerned. Based on some of the things I noted in the introduction, I kind of think we know the answer to this, but why do you feel you are particularly qualified to do a podcast like this? Looking back on, again, my life, both personal and professional, it's been a life of adventures. I've had a lot of different leadership challenges. I've been engaged in various industries, some of which were very different from each other. So I've come up against some very difficult situations. And generally, it's worked out well. But yes, I've made some mistakes along the way, which I'll talk about. Of course, when I really started to learn about leadership was my time in the U.S. Navy in the Vietnam War, where I was a naval officer and a guided missile destroyer. And then subsequently in my professional career and so on. So I've also been able to become, I think, friendly with a lot of very good leaders who are out there. And they are going to be on the show talking about their experiences. How did your experience in the military affect your views on leadership? When you go in the military, and I was in the Navy, but I'm sure this is true of all the military arms, and you're a young officer you actually get a tremendous amount of responsibility for your age. And in my case, I, I was assigned, actually requested and was lucky enough to get my request. I requested when I graduated from officer candidate school to go to a destroyer in the Pacific. And I actually was assigned to a ship, the USS Joseph Strauss in the Navy parlance DDG-16 which was a guided missile destroyer, home ported in Pearl Harbor. The ship had 300 sailors, 20 officers, weighed 20,000 metric tons. In terms of armament, we had two 5-inch 54 caliber rapid fire mounts that had a maximum range of 11 miles and could fire around every one second. We also had something called ASROC, which is anti-submarine rocket, which was basically depth charges that were nuclear-tipped that would take out everything in the ocean for a mile around. 
Luckily, we never had to use them. I'm not sure they ever have been used, but we had them. The North Vietnamese didn't have submarines, so there was really no danger in that particular case. And we were a guided missile destroyer because we had what was then called the Tartar missile, which is an anti-aircraft missile with a range of 20 miles. And I did two tours in the Vietnam War. On the first tour, I was damage control officer. And the second tour, I was communications officer. So I reported to my ship, happened to be offshore North Vietnam. When I got on the ship, I actually heloed from a carrier. He dropped me on the stern on what we call a fantail of the ship. And they didn't land. They couldn't land. There was no space to land. So I just was, came out of the sky. And I was very green and very young. But the ship driving duties involve practicing driving the ship and getting qualified as what's called the officer of the deck. The officer of the deck is actually the officer that does drive the ship, that does give the orders to the helm and so on. And I was asked to stand watches on the, what's the mid-watch? The mid-watch is midnight to 4 a.m. in the Navy. And our mission at that particular time was called plane guarding. So when Navy carriers want to cover, recover, or launch aircraft, they wanted a destroyer one nautical mile in front of the ship and another destroyer one nautical mile in trail. From midnight to four in the morning, everything is very dark. You cannot see the other ships. And you're at something called darkened ship because obviously that's just good protocol in a war zone. So it was about two o'clock in the morning. The officer to the deck basically was a very highly qualified person. He was what we call a Mustang. He had been an enlisted man before becoming an officer. And only the very best, of course, can make it from being enlisted to becoming an officer. And we suddenly got a, a call encrypted from the carrier telling us to take station behind the carrier. Now, the carrier is turning into the wind at flank speed, top speed. At that time for the carrier, it typically would be 35 miles an hour. We got to get as fast as we can, one mile directly behind because... We're lifeguards, and aircraft are coming back from over North Vietnam. Some may be hit, some may be limping back to the carrier, and we needed to be there. It was a life-and-death situation. We never knew if any aircraft were hit, and thank God this particular night no one was, but we still needed to get to station quick. The call came in, and the officer of the deck did a quick relative motion calculation, and basically... He gave new orders to the helm and to the engine order telegraph for speed. And the captain was asleep and he was groggy. He woke up, he did his own calculation and he countermanded the orders of the officer of the deck. And I knew right away, even though I was completely inexperienced that something wasn't right. And the officer of the deck was saying to the captain, I think you should do that calculation again. Captain said, no, I, I got it, it's good. And I'm not kidding, about one minute later, we almost cut the other destroyer in half. And as we loomed up about to hit this other destroyer, the captain yelled, hard right rudder. The only time in my Navy career, which was three and a half years, that I heard hard rudder given. And we just managed to avoid a catastrophe. So the next morning, 
Everybody on the ship is buzzing. The sailors are wondering, is this captain going to get us killed? Can we trust him? The officers were, although they wouldn't admit it so readily, they were thinking the same thing. And the captain did something extraordinary. He called a meeting of all the officers in the officer's dining room, the ones that weren't on watch. And he said, last night, I made a mistake. I want to analyze the situation completely so it never happens again. We took about an hour. And as I sat there watching the faces, the body language of all the other probably 15 officers in the room, I saw them go from, can we trust this guy? To, we will die for him. I know this seems hard to believe, but what was happening was that he was saying effectively, I don't care about my career. I may get written up in the ship's log. This might even be reported to my boss. But what I do care about is the safety of everyone on this ship. And I'd gone into that with the thought on leadership that you never admit you made a mistake. Strong leaders never admit. Today, of course, and since then, I believe the exact opposite. And I never forgot that, what I saw happen. And so that's one of the my 32 essentials that I've written up. And it came from that situation when I was 23 years old in the war. And that captain, not surprisingly to me, eventually years later, was promoted to admiral. As your producer, I'm privy to some of the guests you've invited to be a part of the podcast. What are the things that we can learn from your guests? The very first thing I think about when thinking about other people and even evaluating people for jobs and what have you is have they overcome in their lives? Have they had difficult situations, personal, professional, that they overcame? Our listeners will, can go to our website and see my resume and it'll read pretty good and so on. I don't put my failures on my resume. Nobody does. But we all fail because we're human. We all do. And to me, it's about how people handle that situation, how they come back, how they overcome. Because those are the kinds of people that I would want to work with and frankly have as friends. Because so many people can't handle even the most modest setback. So all of the guests that I'm having, as our listeners will see in their resumes and in our talk, you will see that they cope with difficult situations and how it turned out and what they learned from it. And so that's the very first thing, Joe, that I look for. Your most famous corporate turnaround was Marvel Entertainment. How was your leadership perspective affected by your time at Marvel? First of all, when I was asked to become the CEO of Marvel, Marvel had just basically recovered from bankruptcy. And I didn't know anything about the motion picture business or comic book business. That turned out to be a plus, by the way. And the 32 Essentials talked to some of these factors that I just mentioned, because good leaders can cope in just about any change in environment or industry or whatever. When I got there, people often ask me, why has Marvel been so successful? He went from bankruptcy to selling to Disney 10 years later for $4.5 billion. The reason was our culture. And that's the value system of the organization. What matters to the organization? What's important? What's right and what's wrong? And in all my seven turnarounds, the culture was always wrong when I got there. 
And changing a culture is maybe the toughest job any leader has. I'm addicted to the beauty of successful teamwork. I just am. I get a big rush out of success that comes out of that. So at Marvel, of course, I've been in bankruptcy. Talk about culture being not right. Some of the best people had left, of course, because they could during the bankruptcy. And bankruptcy is a lot like chemotherapy. Because when you come out of bankruptcy, you're supposedly, your financial woes and other problems are cured. But they're usually not. The financial setup is what creditors would agree to, not what's perfect for this new company coming out of bankruptcy. Looking at chemotherapy, you've lost all your hair. You're very weak. It's a direct correlation. So that was the challenges that I was facing. And happened with the culture is the culture became, and I had a lot of support for this, and a lot of the board members believed in this too. A lot of the senior management that we had or, and some that we hired. Our culture was going to be, we will change the rules of the game. We are not going to run our business the way Hollywood does normally for making movies. We're going to change the way we approach the comic book business, and we're not going to give in. And there are lots of stories that illustrate what we did that was completely different and upset a lot of people, by the way, outside the company. But that's why, ultimately, Marvel was successful, because we changed the rules of the game. And we wouldn't do the silly, crazy things that we saw happening elsewhere in the industry. And we were controversial. And a lot of people didn't like us. That's another one of the 32 essentials. You, If you're going to be an effective leader, you have to be comfortable understanding that you are going to upset a lot of people. And there's no way you can make everybody happy. I'm okay with it. I'm fine. And lastly, Peter, who do you believe can benefit the most from listening to this podcast? Of course, I'm doing this because I want to encourage people of all ages, by the way, of all ages, who aspire to becoming very good leaders. So that's who this podcast is for. You could be 13 years old or you could be 70. And you could be in a profit-making company or nonprofit. You could be in a public company or a non-public company. You could be in a fundraising company. You could be a teacher. You could be whatever. All of the 32 essentials fit all those circumstances. And the nice thing about this 32 essentials is you can grade yourself and you can grade other people. And you can... If you're honest with yourself, say, okay, I'm real good here. I give myself an A, but frankly, I'm weak here. I'm a D plus. I got to work on this. I've been self-grading myself for 20 years. And I'd love to tell you, I give myself an A on all 32. There's some things, unfortunately, no matter how hard I try, my best grade is a C. It just is. And I keep trying and I make some progress. But I'm never going to be a perfect person because human beings aren't. We just aren't. But we can sure try. We can overcome, as I said. So anyone who's interested in learning leadership, overcoming this situation we have where it's very hard to learn leadership. By the way, if 
You're good at leadership. You will crush it because you have no competition. You are going to have, generally speaking, a very happy life, personally and professionally. Yes, you'll, of course, have challenges. But on balance, you're going to do very well. So that's who I really firmly believe can benefit from our podcast. Let me take a minute to talk to you about something very unique that I think you would really enjoy, particularly if you have an interest in wine. The QDO family founded a very unique company about six years ago, and it's a wine company. And the name of the company is Blend Teak. And that's spelled B-L-E-N-D-T-I-Q-U-E, Blend Teak. One of the things I've learned in enjoying wine over the years is that the best red wines in the world are actually blends of more than one grape. So we created a company that makes a, what we call a wine blending kit. And in the kit, we have four different varietals of red wine. We have Cabernet Sauvignon, we have Merlot, Shiraz, and Grenache. And these are all in half bottles. And also in the kit, you get a flask, a pipette, and instructions for how to come up with your own red wine blend. Our wines are actually very high quality wines. We source all the wines from the best producers of wine in the central coast of California. We love the idea that we can bring something special to wine lovers around the world. So please check out the company online. Company again is Blendtique, B-L-E-N-D-T-I-Q-U-E. Or you can go to our website, petercunio.com, and then you'll find a link there directly to Blendtique. And by the way, please stick around till the end of today's episode. Blendtique CEO, Billy Dim, will be on with a special offer all you wine lovers. Thanks very much. One of the unique benefits of this podcast is your ability to make Peter a part of your leadership team. Peter's looking forward to sharing his experiences with fellow leaders and businesses of all sizes. If you have a particular business concern or challenge, Peter wants to help. So send your written or recorded question to peter at shlpodcast.com. That's Peter at SHL for Superhero Leadership, podcast.com. Here is this week's question. Hi, my name is Margaret. I'm actually calling from a not-for-profit organization where I'm the director. And what I wanted to know is we have to be mindful, obviously, of every penny as we're fundraising and we're relying on donors. So when we set up our structure, you know, we try to keep our payroll as low as possible. And it is hard work that we ask our people to do. So how do you recommend keeping morale up when we can't offer a super high salary. Margaret, thank you very much for your question. The kind of challenges you have are the same kind of challenges you'll find in many other businesses. And I certainly had these challenges coming in as a CEO to a turnaround. I'm walking through the door. The company is weak financially and weak in maybe other ways as well. Cannot afford to keep everybody, unfortunately, in some cases. So people are nervous about their jobs, period. But also, we're obviously not going to be laying out big salaries and so on. Now, the way I would overcome that are basically providing other incentives. One thing I would recommend you do is 
When you have success, celebrate that success publicly. Celebrate the fact that the people working there are doing a great job. I was in a company and talk about changing the culture. This was a company that where new products were very important. You had to have a lot of new products every year. And unfortunately, historically, people that worked on new products, they didn't have a good track record. Many failed. And those, those individuals, in some cases, were demoted or let go. So no one wanted to work in new products. Yet new products represented the future of the company. So think about the culture being 180 degrees off, okay? I had to think about, okay, how do I make new products the place where everybody wants to work? We had a big meeting of all the employees and we had one very successful new product. And new products in any company are a function of manufacturing, quality control, marketing, sales, finance, all those entities working well together. Otherwise, it doesn't happen. And the way we were organized, we had teams, interfunctional teams that got together on a particular new product and so on. And right before the meeting, I had the head of human resources in my office and I said to him, I want to give everybody a special check. There's six or seven people. And I want the whole place to see that basically, if you do a good job of a new product, you just got an extra check. Now, in my heart, I really believed what really would matter was not the money, but it was the acclamation in front of their peers that would really make people feel good. The head of human resources said, we can't do that because there'll be a lot of other people who feel they did a good job, but they're not getting a check. And this will backfire on you. This will be bad. By the way, I fired that person a month later, but that's another story. I said, give me the checks. I went out and the place was in shock. I called these seven people up. They didn't even know why in front of everybody. And then I mentioned the great success we'd have with the new product and that how important new products were to us. Oh, and by the way, here's something a little extra for all of you. I didn't even say the amount. So I will tell you six months later, because it takes time to change culture, everyone wanted to be in new products. I know, Margaret, this is a long answer to your question, but really it's not always about money. It's about working in a great organization with the proper culture that makes you feel good. It does. And it's also about people that do well getting rewards, both psychosomatic as well as monetary. I hope that answered your question. That's it for this episode of Superhero Leadership. As you can tell, Peter is passionate about helping you develop and sharpen your personal and business leadership skills. In upcoming episodes, You'll join Peter for insightful conversations with some of the top leaders in their fields, sharing techniques and insights you can immediately implement into your business. Be sure to like and subscribe and leave us a comment. That way, you'll get an alert for our new episodes. Be sure to meet Peter right back here for Superhero Leadership. Hi, this is Billy Dim. I'm the CEO of Blantique Wine Company. I want to thank my partners, the Cuneo family, Peter Cuneo, 
for allowing us to share this remarkable concept with you. It really allows people to create and design their very own private label wines from the comfort of home using this extremely interactive, fun and experimental blending kit that we've created to bring to your houses, to your friends, to your businesses. And it allows people to really engage wine in a unique way. It gives them the opportunity to experiment with premium single varietal wines, utilizing our unique blending kit that also includes the tools you need to facilitate this really fun and interactive experience. Just imagine inviting a few friends over to experiment with different single varietal wines to then actually have this fun and unique blending experience where you can compete with one another to create your ideal recipes. And once you've conceived of something that each of you really enjoys, you can then upload that favorite recipe online, design your unique label, and order your very own custom-labeled product. Today, we are offering a very special discount to the superhero leadership listeners. You can visit us through petercunio.com and find the link, or you can go directly to blendteak.com backslash SHL, and you can enter code SHL for a 10% discount on your blending kit. So we would love for you to Give Blendteek a try. Visit us online today. Again, blendteek.com and enter code SHL and enjoy your blending kit as a great gift item or one that you get to enjoy and experience wine in a completely unique way. Thanks for your time.